Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 242, and the fourth in the uh, puppy series that I've been doing. And in today's puppy series, instead of talking about philosophy and respect for the animal and all that stuff, we're going to talk about things to do. What what do you do? What actions do you take um, with when you're starting this out? So now, presumably, we're talking about a puppy that's been around a little while, still young. You know, you're still doing the retrieves if, for your retriever uh, and kind of teaching it the rules of the house and where it stays and where it doesn't. And it's very important that, at, particularly when you're talking 10, 12 weeks through four or five months, that is such an uh, optimal time to teach the dog all the things that you want it to understand going forward. And by that, I mean, it's not going to be doing doubles and blind retrieves, and you're not going to have it force-fetched, or heavens, take no collar, no electric collar. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about teaching this dog how it's going to fit into your life. And the easiest way to do that. And I, you know, I don't know whether I learned it when I raised my kids or whether when I raised my kids, I took what I'd gotten from the dogs. I'm not sure. Some combination there. But I'm going to give just a real, as I always do, kind of a kid example. But with both of my kids, um, when they came home from the hospital, and then I, uh, a lot of this was just, I don't know what it was, animal sense or whatever. But so, it, you know, it's so thrilling and scary and exciting. But we, I, we, I got into like a, a little bit of a ritual. I don't think you can, you know, again, it's not like a prison schedule or something. But at the end of the day, you know, then we would have uh, dinner or whatever we would eat. Uh, and these are little, little kids now, right? Equivalent to a 8, 10, 12-week-old puppy. And we would have dinner, and then we would always have a bath. And that was great fun. For one, I wanted my kids to never be afraid of water. Right? I wanted them because they're going to be around ponds all their entire childhood. And when they fell in, I wanted them to be able to swim out. So from the very beginning, a little problem prevention, we made the bath thing so fun. You know, the little kid bath you throw in the sink. And we played and it was fun and water ran and water ran over their head. And, you know, I would take them in the shower and hold on to them and water run over their head. And so we're just having a lot of fun and getting clean and learning how fun water is. Okay, this is one of the things. And then after that, after that, you dry them up. It's just they have full attention, and it's very pleasurable. And we're playing, and then we do the little baby lotion all over, so it's kind of like a body massage. That's awesome, you know. I I loved it. They loved it. And then you get on your uh, fresh, clean, whatever you're sleeping in. Always, always had to be fresh, right? Um, so that it was getting a nice, soft little whatever baby slept in kind of sack thing, I think. And then they would be read to. Sitting in a rocking chair, yes. And at the age of three days, you know, I'd sit there in the rocking chair and if, you know, if there was still bottle time or something, we'd have a bottle and we'd be reading. I would read to them. And then after, 
I don't know how long it was, 10, 15 minutes, whatever, put him to bed and leave the room. And that became such a pleasurable, pleasurable thing. And, you know, for me, I loved it. And they loved it. So going to bed, in addition to water, was very fun. Going to bed was also great for so many things. You get read to and you get a baby bottle and you're getting held and you're getting rocked and it's just so nice. And then you kind of go to sleep. Now, no, I wasn't one of those moms where let them cry it out. I, mean, I never did that. If I had a kid that was really crying, I would be there. But they just learned to go to bed and that they didn't, they don't have to go to sleep. You know, they could play around in their little crib or do whatever, but they would always go to sleep. What happened with that, because of that, was for the rest of their lives, you know, when they're getting older, three, four, two, you know, when kids can kind of start to become a challenge. And it, we'd go, we'd still do the, have a, here's dinner, have a bath, always read to them. I was really sad when, I don't know, late grade school or middle school, early middle school, when I, you know, didn't, I didn't get to do that anymore. That was always sad for me. But they read themselves. They were, of course, both avid, avid readers because reading was such an, a daily and important part of their life and so pleasurable to get into these really cool stories, right? So at three and four and five and 10 and whatever, when it was bedtime, they went to bed. They didn't realize that you could argue about that. Not that they didn't, it's not that they didn't realize you couldn't argue. It wasn't a thing you argued about. Yeah, you had a busy day, you did all the stuff, had a great dinner, got all cleaned up, did the reading thing, and then you go to bed. That's just what they did. And they were on, on telling the truth. They were never an issue on, you know, go to bed, and now you do this, sharing the light off. They could go in there and they could read and do stuff, you know. If, but that's what they would do. They would read something and, uh, you know, go to sleep. So just going through those ritual things with the future in mind. You know, I have kids now that, you know, can race triathlons. I can swim. They can... <laughs> You know, they just, they, I never had to worry that someone was going to drown if they tripped and fell into the pond. And we had pond at our house and everywhere we ever went. And then the other part, you know, I just didn't have a lot of the fights and debates or arguments or uh, conflict that people have because we just did so many nice, cool things. And they were so clear and understood what it was. And there was no place in there. We never really argued. Yeah, nothing. And so that's how their life went in terms of very imperfect people had problems, sure. But I mean, it was pretty easy. There, there was never yelling and screaming because it just wasn't a thing. And with our puppies, that philosophy works even better because the puppies don't think as much as kids. So if you think about the stuff that you want, that's why the, oh, let them be a puppy and let their minds be crazy and let them just run around and never learn to pay attention and never learn to focus and never learn that they have a role in your life and they have certain things that are okay and certain things that are not. You know, don't, why would you ever do that? I just don't understand because then when all of a sudden, you know, your 60 pound dog is jumping on you or puts mud all over the, couch or barks anytime anything happens or 
you know, doesn't bring stuff back to you, does flybys, goes out when you take it outside and runs away if you don't have it. So then the nearby experts tell you to put an electric collar on the dog and condition it to hear and other things I would not do. So it would be easier if with this puppy, you kind of formulate some stuff like this. Now, for one, depending on time of year and where you live, of course, you want them one, two. You want that walk every day, I'm telling you. You want that walk in different places every day. That's interesting. It's just the two of you. They're, you're not on a cord. Um, and that's super important. You know, I say that every single time where they learn that with you is the most fun thing. And then they get fit and they get exposed to a lot of things, smells, sights, sounds, stuff to eat, you know, your moods, all sorts of things they get exposed to then. So that's, that's a great thing. The other thing that you want them to be able to do without exception is to be able to come home and get put away for some quiet time where they're not tearing something up, driving you nuts, um, barking, running around, being crazy with the other dog. Just some time. So that in the future, if you travel with your dog, they can travel quietly, regardless of how far, how long, how many days. That if they ever have to go in the vet because they cut something and they're going to get stitched or they ate something and they have to get a little surgery to take the sock out or something like that, then they're going to be in one of those little boxes, you know, that they have them out at the vet. Wouldn't it be nice if they that didn't terrify them, if they understood confinement to a degree? Again, I don't like crate stuff so much. Oh, crates, yes. Crates when traveling, crates when it's dinner time, but not for living in. I, again, a kennel run of some sort, a run of some sort where they can urinate and drink and stuff. But a quiet time. It, they're so, if you ever have to board your dog because you're flying to Paris, right? Then wouldn't it be nice if you had a dog who was not overwhelmed going into that barking building with, and being confined? I mean, until they've done that, it's, it's a little bit daunting. But they aren't the confinement and the being somewhere that they're not totally comfortable. They're okay with that. That is priceless. No one has ever regretted preparing their dog for that kind of thing. So that's a big part of it. And you start that with your little guy. Take him on a walk. Do a few retrieves out there. Leave them wanting more so that they're doing it as enthusiastically and cooperatively as possible. Come back. Give them breakfast. Put them in their run quiet there's not they're not in there with their, another dog that may be next to one but they're not they're by themselves and by yourself time again no one will ever regret having a dog that can be left and will be okay the separation anxiety thing is not necessary assuming your dog is mentally stable all right it's not necessary so here's where you do that part so they have the greatest pleasure of their life with you. The walk, retrieving breakfast, your attention, your presence. Ah, perfect. Now they're going to spend the rest of the morning in quiet time. That's when, depending on the dog, give them a little knuckle bone or something that they can't eat, that they can't literally can't chew to pieces. You know, find out, find a butcher, get those kind of things. Put them in there with... And if they like to eat their bed, then put them in there with some grass hay in a box or something so they can eat that if they want because it's just grass anyway. 
and some water that they perhaps can't tip over and destroy. You know, I used to clip a bucket onto the side and something to chew on, and there you go. So that is, you'll never regret that. Now, let's talk about a few more things. Any breed of dog, anything, anytime, but particularly our big, powerful retrievers that are so aggressive and ambitious about the things they do. I'm going to talk about some small things. And we're not talking eight weeks, but we're talking 10, 12, now we're getting up there. Don't, several things. And on the walk is one of the best places to teach this. Dog can't walk in front of you crossing over, tripping you, getting in the way. If you have a hunting dog and you upland hunt you and you're sitting there carrying a weapon, you do not want a dog that will slam into you, uh, walk in front of you, do a flyby right in front of you. See, what I've had them do when people don't train their dogs this way, and I've been had, I, we'll be out in the field, they're all excited, right? They come in behind me, and just as my one of my heels is up to take a step, they it knocks it into the other leg, and then I stumble, uh, you know. And I'm I'm not a stumbler out there. I've had that happen because dogs have absolutely no uh, restricted airspace things in their mind. So here, this age is the time to teach that. And by that I mean, and you know, even when I first take the little eight, nine, ten week old guys out. When they, at first, they, first few days, I step over them, right? And I can step big, so I can step over them and have them trying to keep up with me or something. About day three, four, five, the side of my foot just moves, and I don't kick, just moves them to the side. And if I have to keep doing it, it becomes increasingly unceremoniously moving them to the side. And to teach those little guys, right in front of me is no place you want to be. Um, at when we're moving. Now, if I call you to me and uh, why don't you sit in front of me, do that. But but walking in, right in front of me is just a space you're never going to be in. Just like I don't a space up by my face, it's not a place you want to be. And I, I'll take it to this level because I run and I've always run with dogs. Not my dogs, legs too short. I've always run with dogs. If you're ever out running and you got to stop and tie your shoe, or, I don't care, you're getting your hunting boots on to go hunting with your dog. And you stop and bend down, and they come running over and bop you right in the nose. That'll give you a nosebleed or worse. You know, because they're like, oh, you're down. Whenever you're down, that means I can go smush all over you. And I, it shouldn't. Because if you're ever doing that, you know, and you bend down, and they come, that's not good stuff can happen. So if you never let them learn that just because I bend down to tie my shoe does not mean come and come after me. You need to be invited, or I go to you. And if you start that with these little guys, and no, that's not unkind. That's not unaffectionate. It's just teaching them about restricted airspace so when they're big and strong, you don't have to, how do I get my dog to quit jumping on grandma or whatever it is? You don't have any of that. And when you bend down to do something they don't uh, bop you right in the face because they think you're down there to play with them so in on your walk is a great place to teach that around the house around your yard so i teach them teach them that when you come through the door they don't get in front of you they don't cut you off they don't come slamming up beside you 
you know, and knock you out by the knees going through the door because you opened it. You can take a little dog and teach him, I'm going to open the door, I'm going to walk through, then you go ahead. And, you know, that seems kind of dictatorial with a little guy, but it's phenomenally nice when they're 60, 70 pounds and they want to go out, but they know they have to wait till you and grandma go through the door, then they can come without smashing into anybody. And smashing into you for anything, for any reason, any breed, any time, is not a good thing. So I've had many dogs that I've gotten in, and we're starting to work together, and we go out, and I throw a happy bumper for them, and they run out and get it, and then come running back and smash directly into me. <laughs> okay, that happens about once, and then it's like, all right, I see what you were taught here. Or they come, you know, you don't see them coming from behind and they just smash into you. That's something they were taught as puppies. Oh, run over here to me and just slam in and I'll pick you up and it'll be so good. So think about those things with your little dogs. You know, you might, you might want to just teach them, come running up to me and then hold off. I will go to you. I will reach out to you. Now, you want to reach out and do a lot of puppy smooching and all that? Go right ahead on your terms, not on their terms. And it's so easy to make an early habit, just a real early habit, and then never have that problem. They need to have respect for you, where your body is, where they are relative to that, and also when you are moving. They need to be, eventually, you know, you're going to want them to heal with you, probably, unless we're hunting or something. But you want them to go with you, not run into you, not trip you, not step on you, not get in your way, but go along. That's so easy to teach by never letting them learn anything but that. And it's then you don't have the problem stuff. And how do I get my dog to stop doing this? And how do I get them to stop doing that? Even though, yes, I actually did teach them, but I didn't realize it would be like this. So just from now on, or when you get these little guys, think ahead about all the stuff you want. Now, if you have a, let's, we got a competitive or a hunting dog, water's a factor. Now, you're living in Minnesota. Actually, let's see, this year, I'll say South Dakota in the wintertime, where all the water is in flake form and three feet high and frozen solid. Um, okay, that's not a good introduction to water, but obviously, given time of year where you live and all that kind of thing, if you can expose your dog to water, if water is going to be part of its future, you know, waterfowl, comp competition, your pheasant flies into the stock pond, um, whatever. It's very nice to have your dog where they actually like water. So even if it's warm and don't, cold water, no, ice, no, common sense. I'm not going to sit here and, and talk on that level. But, you know, it's, if you went somewhere on a walk, if you live somewhere where you... I grew up in Albuquerque. This was would have been impossible. Uh, but if you can walk somewhere where you go through a stream of some sort, you know, a couple inches of water, could be real scary to the little dog at first. You don't just walk right on across. Encourage him over there. Do whatever. Um, but do something in, in a most relaxed and non-pressure way to begin to teach them. Like when I would throw water all over my kid's head, taking a bath, you know, and it was fun. 
I like to teach the little guys water's fun. Water is very fun. And some of them just jump right in and love it. And you just go, well, I don't know. What's the problem here? And other dogs, are not, they it, because it's different, particularly for some animals, you know, they're okay in water if they can feel the ground. But when they can't feel the ground anymore, that could be a giant barrier. So just begin with making water fun and up it a little bit. Your swimming pool in the backyard, not, I mean, that's go ahead, but that doesn't, I haven't found where that translates a lot of times. I've had many people who have a swimming pool, oh, the dog just stays out there all the time, and then they won't go in the pond after a bumper. So um, I don't know if it's because they can't see the bottom in the pond or what it is, but things like that, the water, get it, get it going where water is um, not a big deal. Don't be training. Don't be trying to do a bunch of stuff necessarily on the real young guys. But just get them where water is just not a big deal. Matter of fact, water's kind of cool. And when it's hot, water's really good. I, you know, you can go over there and kind of lay down in it even. That's another good thing to incorporate if and when you can. And if you can't, man, find a way. They even have indoor dog places. Again, I don't care for that. But just so where all water is associated with pleasantness. Because eventually when you do start training, it'd be nice if you don't have to spend three or four weeks trying to get your dog to get out where they're off, not touching the bottom anymore. So that's also very helpful. On the retrieving stuff, um, be careful about pushing too far or doing things that are too hard. At the same time, you have to continue to up the ante to challenge things a little bit. So when they're little tiny, they can see a sock or a little puppy bumper thrown on the grass or on the driveway or something. Okay, backyards, driveways, start out there if you want, but then, and don't train, if you have a, like a normal, regular backyard, don't train out there. I mean, you have to make sure they listen and you know respect you and stuff, but that ought to be like their safe ground. So when you're gonna go work with them, do some retrieves and stuff, then go somewhere else even I don't care somebody else's backyard there should be a place where they can just be themselves and there's no like oh man I got trouble right over there or that one time don't don't do that in your backyard if possible go to the park or the ball fields or something and and do your work or on your walk when you do some retrieves but when you do retrieves based on the level of intensity of that dog based on that that tells you how much of control and rules you want to start putting in there. If you have a dog that's got, yeah, well, yeah, okay, I'll go get it. No rules at all because you need the passion. You need to get that developed. And so no rules, whatever it takes. Uh, preferably your enthusiasm, talk when necessary, be excited, and then not. Don't make it just a continuous thing because then it doesn't work anymore. It's, you know, it's not as effective. You know, but it's nice, the high voice, crazy, run the other way, throw something behind you so they turn around and come back because they saw something thrown. You know, but get them excited. You have to have the passion. When, or if you have one that's, you know, nuts about it, right? Then great, then those are the ones that you restrain. And restrain is non-movement. It is not a dog jumping up and down and ripping sideways and up and down to get torn out of your arms to go get it. It's not, you got it, you got a little puppy, you're stronger than that. Hold on to the little dog. 
you can at literally, uh, especially in the little guys, have your, your hand on their collar and neck. And then as soon as you throw it, keep the little bottom down. Never let them learn to do the crazy gyrations. Never let them learn that. So as, as soon as you see they're wild about this, teach them, that's great, you're wild. Now you're going to sit and you're going to watch. And if you never let them do the wild, crazy jumping around thing, then they won't know that. Similarly with noise, you know, don't let, if they make noise, really, and this is what I would do on the little guy, I would really kind of pound that sit. You know, whether you actually pick them up by the nape of the neck and the bottom and then put them back down kind of hard with a sit. In other words, there needs to be a consequence for barking that they understand. They don't understand quiet, no bark. They don't understand negatives. They, they don't. They do understand, geez, every time I make a noise, I get kind of slammed into a sit. I think I'll just be a little quieter. There has to be a consequence and something you give them that they can do. And even if they're already sitting, enforce it at a level where they go, gee, many, okay. And you can, don't let the sound begin. And I don't care. It's so cool. It's so cool to have the little fire-breathing dragons if you do, right? Oh, look at my dog. Oh, I bet I could throw it. All this kind of stuff. Teach. That's how nice. It's a giant problem waiting to happen if you don't reel it in and make sure that they learn what the rules are. I have trained many fire-breathing dragons and competed with them who just looked normal <laughs> till they ran, till they took off. But it's because they never learned the crazy. They had so much go that I could put the control on them and I never let them learn the, uh, the stuff I didn't want them to do. So on your retrieving, you know, if you have to have them on a leash, don't let them be out crazy. Don't put that harness thing on and teach them to pull as hard as you can. Um, again, that's not even a natural. That's not good on a developing body because that's not a natural movement. It, it, it's like so, you're pulling a, a trailer or something behind them. That's not real good. Uh, and the final thing I'm going to say on this one because we're getting up there is I have heard from people I respect a lot who, when they have a little puppy and, you know, they throw something and the dog runs out there and gets it and then takes off, something that could have probably been prevented by doing everything well from the beginning. And then the advice now, what people are doing, is they condition their dog to returning on with the electric collar. And, of course, they always tell me, no, it's a very low setting. <laughs> like, I don't care <laughs> if it's a low setting. You, you are, you're, you're, that's like giving treats to get them to do something. You're going, all right, I, I don't know how to make you do this, so I'm just going to find some other way. A treat, I'm going to buy your response with pleasure. And with the electric collar, I'm going to punish your response with pain. Okay? I don't agree with either one of those things. Teach the little Hummer to come back. Teach him. Never let him learn not to. So if you've got a little dog, when they retrieve, they take off, then have that little tiny cord on, let them run out there, get it, and then bring it back. Don't let them learn on retrieves anything but what you want. But don't do it by avoiding the problem. Well, I'll do it in the alley. Or I'll do it on the road and they can't get off the side, or I'll do it in the hallway. You can do that a little bit, but eventually you're going to have to address it. Don't run away from it. And have that little cord and just teach them, hey, you you need to come back. I had, it was on Facebook, 
many years ago. G's mom, some of you remember G, um, who's going for her fourth time this spring here shortly. Unfortunately, not on my hands right now. Her mom, Zia, was a qualified all-age master hunter, 4X, all by the age of three. Um, she's just one of the, one of the, there's a fire-breathing dragon who didn't break and stuff like that. You know, she had learned. But as, as a puppy, when I was raising her, she quit coming back. I mean, this dog is a fanatic. I, I can't, fanatical about uh, retrieving. And she quit coming back. And she loves retrieving. I don't know. And it was it was unbelievable. And so I had to get a big old long cord. I'd say she was four months old maybe, something like that. And Herbie and her, as soon as she took off with that bumper to just go run the other direction, she hit the end of that rope and kind of flipped over a little bit. And then I brought her back. And I'd say it was about two or three of those. And we were now coming back on retrieves. Had to be fairly uh, drastic to overcome her extreme motivation to do whatever she was doing. Uh, would I have ever used a treat? No, and she wouldn't have given a flip about that anyway. She was so much more into this other stuff. So that's, uh, I would, don't let stuff start to build. As soon as you see a problem, then find a way to fix it without bribing them or hurting them, but actually see if you can figure it out because you are smarter than the dog. When you dig down and work like that, again, the dog reflects it. So I need to talk about bird introduction, but I'm going to do that on the next one for those people that are doing the bird thing on this because early bird introduction is also really, really, really good. can be challenging to accomplish depending on where you are but it still is necessary so um the next one i'll be talking about the bird introduction but so i'm talking about these are shortcuts you know these are shortcuts you want to get from point a to point b the easiest way possible just never let them learn that there's all kind of terrible things that they can do have them derive a lot of pleasure working with you and having them learn how things you know, like I said, my kids never knew you argued about stuff. They just didn't know that. Not from, I've never yelled at them. I've never hit them. I've never done any of that. And not because I have any philosophy about that, but because that wasn't the way it was. You know, they just understood how it was. And that, you know, it was done with great love and affection. And it was great. And so um, it works with dogs. Just show them, how, how, you know, how life is and be fair to them and teach them and explain and be, make sure you have that rhythm going in their life so it becomes just second nature to them and you will never regret a moment of that. So that's today. Snowing outside again here in April. Um, so good time to come in here and do the podcast. I hope everybody stays healthy, happy, and maybe sometime spring will come. <laughs>